Welcome to Because We Make, the podcast about making, creativity, and why we do what we do as makers and creatives. I'm your host, Vincent Ferrari, and joining me as always, my good friend and co-host, Ms. Brooke Deneau. Hi, Brooke. Hey, Vincent. How are Brooke, you doing? Uh, trying to keep cool, honestly. <laughs> it's been really hot. I, Did I, you want to know? Oh, no, you go first. I was just going to say, I can't believe it. It's New York and New Jersey, and it's the summer, and it's hot. Do you want to know what happened <laughs> last week? What happened last week? At Maker's Workshop. Oh, no. We Tell had me power, the air the power, The power went out. Oh, beyond no. just at our place, but everywhere. For pretty much the whole second half of Wednesday, like the whole day. But the laser also stopped working in the heat. It got so hot. Wow. So our whole shop, like we were just down for a day. In addition to being really hot because the AC was out. I had to work so. in my living room with no air conditioning, putting stuff together for that wedding. Yeah. Like, oh, was... yeah. Are you done with that? <laughs> I'm done with that. I put. I gave them the last of what I needed to give them on Thursday, and it just felt so good. It's the largest, I will say, it is the largest invoice I have ever sent a client, and well, I am congratu- so excited. Congratulations. Thank you. This and is I, a big move. And I also want to just go on the record as saying... The first time you had a big job, you said that you outgrew your Glowforge and it took like one big job. (laughs) Do you know how many people have messaged me, by the way, and said, Mm -hmm. so did you really outgrow your, like, I wanted to get a Glowforge. And I'm like, look, just, just understand what I'm doing here. Actually, I go. Yeah. I was just going to say, understand what I'm doing here and that, yeah, I did. But not because it's not capable, just because I can't operate at this level for every client going forward yeah. with a Glowforge anymore. Yeah, and so. to clarify, I don't hate Glowforges. No, you don't. You made beautiful rubber stamps with them. I did. I did. <laughs> I, I do use ours all the time. It's wonderful. I, there was just some beautiful irony to the fact that you had said that last week. Yeah, I've been getting a lot of I've been getting a lot of feedback about that. People asking me if I should go with it or not, and the answer is yes, you should. If you've never had a laser, it's a pretty good starting point to get comfortable. See if you like it, even though it's a little bit expensive. I would I would definitely recommend it. But in case you guys haven't figured it out, Brooke has believe it or not, guys. I'm, I'm hold on, breathe. Brooke has two new videos out as yeah, we're recording there's this. Two. There's two. And if you're feeling really hot because it's so hot out, you can just watch these and feel like you're in the middle of Massachusetts in the winter. And one of them was the coldest day of the year. (laughs) It was so cold that day. Like I almost cut the footage because it didn't really make sense for the plot. But as I was rewatching the footage for that scene, Vincent's seen them at this point. I was Mm -hmm. thinking the only thing I remember about that day and time was how gosh darn cold it was. So I had to leave the coldness in it. You slipped in. I did. You did. I saw it in, in the footage. I'm like, now I would have normally cut that out because that would have made me uncomfortable to show that. But Brooke is a trooper. Brooke, Brooke shows all her fumbles and I, foibles. I can't. If you, if anyone's ever been to the Old North Bridge in Concord, Massachusetts, it floods. Mm-hmm. That's just like what it happens there. And that particular day, it was possibly like negative 10 with like a crazy wind chill. So the whole thing was a sheet of ice. But I think it's pretty. So I was like down on the rocks trying to like see it Love all it. and appreciate it all because I it's really tranquil yeah. okay. when I get like that. But yeah, I appreciate that you noticed that I almost fell. A hundred percent because it caught it caught my eye. It's like, did she was that a weird edit or did she? Nope, she tripped. No, I fell. <laughs> and, and I added a rubber duck squeak to it, too, because it just makes it funny. <laughs> 
Oh man, anyway. it's so it, it's so good to see it's so good to see you making videos. Like I know I know you you went pretty much off the grid last week to uh, edit these. So we had a lot going on, and there was a power outage, and I was just trying to sit down and get my act together and get it out because the footage is all older footage, older mm-hmm. being six months ago, but it's older. In, yeah. in the span of like the internet so i will say this is the first week in a very long time where i did not talk to you on the phone one single time all week because we were both heads <laughs> down all week and it was just like was oh week. brooke we have a podcast to record yeah no, i was like oh vincent who's that <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah right we're gonna do that um we do have a guest this week yes we do and I have a really great awkward meat story with our guest, and it was fantastic. Oh, perfect! You can it's start not, with I this. Mean, it's it's probably a lot less. It's probably a lot less awkward than I'll make it sound like initially. But mm-hmm. it was awkward, and it was like, oh my god, what's wrong with you? But <laughs> we were. I was. It was not la- Not this past year. The year before, I was at Jimmy's, obviously for what what has become now known as Jimmy Speedway. And I'm standing there. I was talking to. I was talking to Derek and Keith Decent and jimmy and at one point jimmy wanted to show everybody the inside of the place because he had this band he has this band that rehearses in there and so he wanted to take he was taking us inside to show us around and i'm standing there and i see our guest walk by and of course mr smooth mr smooth that i am go i i i are you you were on making it right you're justine and she goes uh-huh nice to meet you and you're vincent oh nice to meet you and it was it was so i don't know i just felt i'm not the person to stick my hand out or put myself out there and go oh hi i know who you are but you know it just was like well hell i've already met because like i've told a million times when i got there i didn't know anyone there except yeah. for you know i obviously knew keith but he wasn't there when i got there i knew dave bauer but he wasn't there when i got there so the, one of the few people I recognized was our guest Justine because I saw her on TV. So maybe I should maybe we should bring her on now. Yeah, Hi, I Justine. Say, our, our guest, the winner of season two of Making It, yes, Justine Silva, and also featured on Making Fun, a, a, a very special character select screen, which was one of the cutest things that they did the whole season in all the ways. But welcome aboard! Hi, Hi guys, thanks so much for having me. So I do. <laughs> I do know who you are. <laughs> it's so funny though, because I feel like I, I remember that day, and then I I feel like I told my friends like I got recognized today because it, <laughs> you know, it doesn't happen to me, and I was I was surprised too. I didn't think it was awkward. So. <laughs> I, that was going to be my follow up question. Was okay. Vincent felt horrendously awkward. Now, how did you feel, Justine? No, I was I I. I, I live my life like in that awkward zone. So I'm just, yes. I let it wash over me, you know, yes. so I, I didn't feel awkward about it. There you what's, go, Vincent, a weight off your shoulders right there. Well, what's really funny is like we get guests on here and, you know, even if I, even if we've never spoken to them before, like we'll get a guest on here and it's like, it's fine. I can pick up and talk to anybody. I know their work, I, whatever. No, in person. No, no, like, no, 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 <laughs> no, shy, no, yeah. no. Yeah. Like I, it, I've I have awkwardly met so many people. <laughs> it's amazing, and it's I guess you know you put, if I, I you know what I should do I should bring a mic to the meetups. Oh gosh! And just like stand there like with a boom hanging next to me because that'll make it so much less awkward. Yeah, well, that's no, way less intimidating. Yeah, no, I mean I'll have the mic; it'll be much more comfortable. But we have an actual TV person here, so why are we yeah. talking about us and stuff, Justine? Just so you know, 
and I didn't think I was going to say this on the show, but I am going to say it because she's actually going to listen to this one, she said. But my ex-wife said, quote, <laughs> oh, good, I'll listen this week because you have Justine on, end quote. Because when we were watching, when we were watching your season of Making It, you were our favorite contestant. Oh, so that's so sweet. <laughs> when you won, it was like, you know, it was like confetti and party in the Ferrari house. Like, it was awesome. So, Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Why don't you give us a little bit of background and how you be up to um, getting on making it? Because, I was going to say that. Like, what did, what were you into? Like, how did yeah. you start making? Because I know you do a lot of like, I don't well, no, I'll let you I'll let you take the floor. Yeah, no, yeah. My, my background's a little uh, windy, but I, I and I I mean, since making it, I've been trying to figure out like where to go next. But I guess I can give you my backstory. Um well, first of all, thank you so much for watching, Vincent, and I hope 100%. you guys enjoyed it. Um, yeah, so I, I mean, I'm from Massachusetts. Brooke, I'm not too far from you. Yeah, you're from Andover, if I'm not wrong. Yeah, so. that's where I'm from. Um, and I kind of grew up doing arts and crafts with my family, and then I ended up going to Mass Art for illustration. So I have an illustration degree. Um, but when I was in college, I kind of was like, you know, my peers were going into like animation or advertising or like really into comic books. And I was like, that's not quite my jam. So I, I started doing um, work with anthropology, uh, the retailer, and I was building their window displays. Um, so I worked there for like maybe five years. And that's kind of how I got my start with building. And that's really cool. just can, like- I, can I pause you right there though? Because yeah. I have a question about that. Because I grew up loving the anthropology window displays. And being able to work on the anthropology window window displays would have been like dream job territory for me. So how did you get to do that? You know, and what was it actually like? um, Well, it's really funny because I feel like anthropology in its heyday was like, like I would go to that store and be someone like you'd go in and see like a giant chandelier made out of wooden spoons or something. And I was going gawk. Yeah, truly. That's what I would do, too. You're right. It kind of has changed, too, hasn't it? Anyway, um, yeah, but anyway, keep going, keep going. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, I ha- I was just about to graduate. I, I didn't really know exactly what I was going to do with my illustration degree. And I didn't even really think that that was a job, even though it was something that I admired. But um, I was on like the mass art job board and they had an internship. So I actually got my start there. They, um, uh, they kind of, I think they discontinued the program not, not too long after I was an intern, but I got to kind of like go in and I mean, a lot of those displays are like fold 1 million butterflies. And so like, (laughs) that was my job for a little bit um, as an intern. And I was like, well, you know, my eyes were just kind of opened that like, that's a thing that people do. Um, And so after I graduated, I, you know, I think I had like a year of other odd jobs and then I applied and kind of got my start. So yeah. So you move out to the West Coast and you... oh right after that okay. <laughs> yeah because because you that's the part like I, I'm trying to figure out the road to becoming a reality show contestant because it's interesting okay. like you go from like making incredibly artsy window displays to California yeah so I kind of I had worked for anthropology I was working at the Burlington Mall in Massachusetts and. 
um, which Brooke's nodding, you know well. Um, <laughs> yep. I, I kind of bounced around Massachusetts working for them. Uh, but after like five years, I kind of was like, okay, I'm looking for something different. Um, and I had just gotten back from a trip. I visited a couple friends in California who kind of moved out and just spread their wings here. And I was like, wow, you know, there's something out there. So I actually moved out to California. Well, actually, first, when I was still working at Burlington, I that's where I shot and applied to I shot my um making it audition tape oh wow okay I had seen one of my friends posted on Facebook like oh Amy Poehler and Nick Offerman are hosting a show and I was like that's cool like maybe I'd watch that and then after thinking about it I was like maybe I could be on that show um and so I just (laughs) like kind of threw together a really goofy audition video it's like very embarrassing (laughs) and just like sent it out into the ether um, and I actually went through the whole casting process for season one, did not make the show. Um, and then kind of put that behind me and was like, well, I guess I'm going to go move to California. And, um, I actually moved out here to open a creative, to, to work on some creative projects with a friend. Um, and so I kind of moved on from art. I kind of moved on from making things. I got a job building crazy houses. I was working in construction, um, cool. in, in California. And then, making it reach back out to me for my second se- for the second season. And I was like, you know, okay, well, if they're coming to me, maybe I'll do it. So <laughs> I, I think what I loved, I think what I loved about the second season and, and the fact that the fact that you didn't make it onto the first season, but you made it onto the second feels like kind of proof of what I ended up liking more after the first season. So with the first season of that show, I really, I, I enjoyed it but it wasn't what I was expecting. It was very, it was much more crafty than makey, you know, it was, and that's not, that's not a knock on them. They just, they went at a different side of making and creativity than I was kind of hoping for with the title, like making it, you know, when we think of makers, we think of something very, very different. And then they start the second season, they're introducing people and like, they talk about your construction background and it's like, Oh, Okay, they're not just getting like paper crafters this this season. Like they're going for much more, you know, much more hardcore, you know, can work a power tool type people. Yeah, you know, and it's funny that you say that because I I I didn't actually watch season 1 until I got pulled into like the final rounds of casting for season 2 and I was like, "Ooh, you probably watch it. <laughs> <laughs> And um, I don't know how to do macrame. What the hell are you want? I mean, I hey, if you want me to come do macrame, just say the word. I'll be there. But, um, <laughs> but so I, I, we kind of all of us got to, you know, shoot the first episode. And I think all of us had a little bit of a little bit like, oh, I'm going to be fine. I'm going to go far in this competition because I saw season one. I can I can do all that. And then as soon as like the first challenge started, I looked around and was like, oh no, like yeah. these people know what they're doing. They pivoted <laughs> yeah. the hell out of this show, yeah. haven't they? Yeah. So, and I, I mean, I, I think the I, 10 people or eight people were on my season and I just think um, I, I had such respect for what everybody brought to the table because I yeah. thought it really was such a well-rounded group of people. So, yeah. Yeah. So the first day on set, if you remember that even... Did you have any experience being on camera and how are you feeling? Was it nerve wracking or were you going into it thinking here goes nothing, whatever happens, happens? Um, yeah, I, I never had any experience being on camera. Being on reality TV is never something I aspired to. 
to, and in truth, the only reason I really applied is because I was kind of over my job and I wanted something new. And, and then it, I feel like actually with everyone on my season, we'd talk about how like it felt like a mistake that we got there. Like it was like, we all just kept being like, do you want to keep coming in for this casting call? We'd all be like, sure. Until all of a sudden we were in a TV studio with Nick and Amy and like, how did I get here? Um, and so I didn't really have experience being on TV and it's, I mean, making it such like a nice and and kind-hearted show that it really was like, just be yourself. So that Mm -hmm. was easy. Um, But second guessing myself and like being stressed out about the projects that I was making, like, I think I held it together. But like at one point, one of the cameramen like winked at me like that looks good. And I almost burst into tears because the whole time I was just there like, this is so stressful. Like people are going to see this. I don't know if I can do, you know, it it was, it was Classic yeah, imposter no. syndrome, like oh, all over the place. Time, time's a million. Here. No, time's yeah. a million. I get nervous when I'm shooting my own stuff myself, let alone having someone else shoot me making something not in my shop in the first place. So mm-hmm. I have so much respect for people who go into situations and shows like that because, like, I can't even imagine. I would probably fall apart. <laughs> yeah, I, I think. I just found myself there and then was like, you know, well, I'm here. I better see this through. Were you surprised? So we don't, I mean, obviously as people who watch the show, we don't know how the show works and you don't have to give away anything if you don't want to. But were you surprised at the amount of your amount of output that you were able to come up with over the course of the show? Because to, to people watching the show, it feels like bang, bang, bang. Like you're just on, 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 on. And I mean, I know there are times where sometimes I don't want to go in the shop for a whole week and I don't know what the filming schedule is like, but it just seemed like you guys were just crank it out today. Okay. Come back and crank it out tomorrow. Okay. Come back and just, just keep turning it on again and again. Is, is it as tight as it feels or. Um, it's tighter than you even think it is. Oh, wow. Like for the viewer. And, and I think even just having worked on a few other TV shows, like for the viewer, you're seeing us make things Mm -hmm. in a certain span. Um, And, and like, you know, the, all the time requirements are really like this project's going to take eight hours, but like they don't, it's, it's hard to fathom like, okay, but Nick and Amy are also going to drop in and that takes away 15 minutes. And then like, while that's happening, the saws can't be running. So like, it's like so much, there are so many moving parts. And then like, as soon as you finish it, it's like, whoo, I finished. And it's like, great. Well, you're through to the next episode. So you better start thinking about what's happening next. It, it is a whirlwind, um, you know, in between like going into interviews and and talking about what you've done. It's, it is a lot. Um, and I think, especially for me, as like, I even just mentioned having a little bit of imposter syndrome. Um, I think it really, showed me how much I'm, I can be capable of, mm-hmm. even though sometimes it was really, I mean, most of the time it was really stressful and a lot. It was like, it, it taught me a lot about myself and um, just my creative process, which was really cool. And then through all of this stress and through all this imposter syndrome, <laughs> you come out on top at the end, which is like, Holy crap. You didn't. So a lot of people show up on competition shows. Not everybody gets a chance to win a competition show, you know, so you're standing there and they announce the winner and what goes through your mind? Like, what's your first thought? Um, 
truthfully at that point I feel like I was so tired that my brain was like half (laughs) (laughs) Um, but and I think I mean I was surprised and I really think that maybe like halfway into my filming my season um, I think the interesting thing about that show and and like the maker community in general is that like it really is apples and oranges. Like mm-hmm. at a certain point, I didn't feel like I was competing with other people. I was just like, I'm competing with myself and all I can do is put out my best work because like, I know I can't do what he can do. Only he yeah. can do what he can do. So right. as long as I'm satisfied with what I put up there and that way, even if I go home, I can go home being like, I did the best I could do. Um, and so I, after we finished the final um, building, our final build, the three of us, the, the final three went back and like had to wait until they flipped the stage and do all that. And I really think at least for me, I was like at peace with the outcome, like whatever, ha- what will be, will be. And did, was- did you left it all, you left it all out there. You did everything you could. If you didn't, you didn't win. Yeah. It wasn't meant to be. Then that was it. Yeah. So that's gotta be, that's gotta be like, you know, after, you know, all the tension and all the stress, it's like, you know, that moment of, okay, I did everything I could possibly do. That's got to be a relief, you know, to know that you're not going to go back with a million regrets and go, well, if it didn't work out, you know, I could have done this better. I could, no, I did. I put out my best work on a very tight schedule under strange conditions. Yeah. And if that isn't enough, then, you know, that was what I could do. So sort of in that vein of everything you kicked out on that show, Mm -hmm. this is a two-part question. And I want to like start... I want to end it on a high note. So I'm going to ask you the bad question first and then we'll like wrap it up with the good question. But like, what was the project on that show that you looked at and were like, ooh, the most <laughs> that made you feel like oh, that? I wish just... everyone could see that face. That was amazing. Thanks, guys. Um, <laughs> like that made you look and just go, that just wasn't my best. If something even stands out at all. Oh, there are two. Okay. Um, wow. So we have to do like, a, uh, I'll tell you right now. <laughs> <laughs> sure there's footage somewhere in the NBC archives of me making the face that you just made. <laughs> uh, thank God they didn't make it to the, to air, but um, we had to do like a front lawn ornament about um, uh, a holiday and I got Halloween. Okay. And so I made this like tree stump thing that was like, okay. And would have looked cool if it was part of a window display, but it just like, wasn't me. Mm-hmm. And, and, of course, then you have to like stand by it and be like, I made this. <laughs> Do you like it? Yeah, you have to like, you have to deliver it. And you're, you're like, I don't believe anything I'm saying, but I look so charming as I say it. Yeah. And uh, I, so there was that one. And then I, there was this one other one that we had to make a piggy bank that I was just, I stand by the concept, but I, I think like I was saying into the microphone, like, I can't do this anymore. I can't make anything else. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, 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 it edited together. Okay. <laughs> I guess, but that those were my two kind of, I'm going to play it safe and kind of try to skate by on these two. Yeah. And then the other half of that question is what do you look at from that show where you say that was a really cool thing that I made? I'm so proud of that. Given the circumstance, given everything, that was my best work. Um, I guess maybe the sh- they gave us a shed, and that was that the, was awesome. Yeah, that was the most ambitious project on the show, and I think um, we we obviously have like extra help on that episode. They, I mean, they tell you that up front, um, or the viewer I think knows that on that one they do, and I feel like 
I kind of came into my own as like a project manager, as an art director, and was kind of like, I really wanted everything in that project to have a handmade element or as many, because that is kind of what I thought the nature of the show is. And that's, I, I really tried to like break it down into like, I'm going to do one big thing here, but then maybe one project that's a little bit more accessible for the viewer, viewer at home over here. Um, I really just tried to play that one strategically and I, I had a lot of fun doing it. So I really liked, I know this is going to come off really weird, but I really liked the couple's costume. The, the <laughs> sushi fact, one? Yes. Because I was going to say the sushi one. What I remember about the sushi one is being like, that looks impeccably well made. It really did. <laughs> like, it, it it looked so good on TV. Like, it just, it, it was like such a cool, crafty, it was just so fun. Like, there was just, I don't know, like, that's what I, I think that's what making it gets right. Like, as a show, they really know how to make the, make the stuff that's being made look fun and you know just seeing the two of you standing there with complimentary costumes and like tennis ball like tennis ball um caviar and it's like they're just they were fantastic it was just so fun i love yeah i forgot about that one and that one was with (laughs) jesse uh jesse bearden who is just awesome and and so much fun to work with and i feel like i i I don't making it doesn't do that many collaborations and I think that no. one they do get right because a lot I think most of the costumes that I've seen or at least I think I, I'm not sure if season three had the couple's costumes but I think that one was maybe the most one of the most successful shorter to crafts because like you do have to collaborate with your partner and it's just mm-hmm. pure fun so I love the trick-or-treat bags like this the soy sauce trick or packet oh trick-or-treat God. bags it was just it was such a good it was I don't know. I think it was just very emblematic of what I like about the show. I think the show, what they've done right with it, you know, above all else is they've made a fun show. That's actually fun to watch. Like Mm -hmm. even if you like, even the first season, like I was saying, I wasn't in love with the first season because of the focus was more crafty than makey, but I still enjoyed it because it was like, this is a show where you're going to watch it and it's just going to be fun, like pure fun. You're just going to enjoy it. And that's it. It's not going to be heavy. You're not going to talk about politics and religion and horrible things in the world. It's going to be a bunch of people just having a good time making cool stuff. So, yeah. Yeah. Yep. So you, you finished there. You're, you know, you wear your, um, your championship belt around. Everyone (laughs) is, everyone's throwing roses at your feet and somehow or another, you find your way back into television after that. Yeah. So, um, I think I had mentioned I was working in, in construction when we shot the show mm-hmm. and there is obviously like a, a, a lag where you have to wait until the show gets edited, which for me was like a year. Um, so I, wow, yeah, which was, um, <laughs> intense, but were you allowed I, to tell anyone that you won? No, no, no. Like you, I mean, your, like your mom, like, were you allowed to call your mom and be like, mom, well, I just mom did was, this thing. My mom was my mom was there at like, um, they flew my family out, um, the final three, but yeah, because yeah. Um, but anyway, so I, I had been working in construction and my job was really demanding. So I made the decision to kind of take a step back and I actually went back and worked for anthropology for a little bit longer. Um, and my, my season aired in December, I think of 2019. 19. And so very shortly after my season aired, COVID hit. 
Um, and so that kind of like threw me into a tailspin too. Like, well, well this is weird. I, you know, a lot of the things that I was going to try to branch out into were like building, doing big build outs for events that were no longer happening. Um, so I kind of had to reassess, but I got a call from making it season three and they were like, Hey, do you want to come work on the challenge team for our season? And so that was kind of my, my foray into TV was um, basically coming back for the next season and helping them develop the challenges, making sure that the makers had all the supplies they needed, making sure that their concepts were good, that they felt good. Um, and now I've kind of been in this weird, weird world of behind the scenes TV, which I didn't really expect, but um, has been really fun along the way. And you get, obviously you make a connection with Jimmy DeResta while you guys are working on making it. Mm-hmm. And Jimmy gets the TV show making fun, and you get a phone call. Is that how it worked, or were you on the team and you guys called them, or like how did that come to be? No, um, so I actually had a mutual friend who I who I worked behind the scenes with on making it, and he knew that they were making the show in New York, and he couldn't take the job for whatever reason, and was like, "Do you want to throw your hat in the ring?" And so I did, um, and I don't even know if I texted Jimmy or if I, I had, I spoke with the producers before and I think I mentioned like, Oh, I know Jimmy from other projects. And they're like, yeah, great. You can come work for us, whatever. And then I texted Jimmy and was like, Oh, by the way, I'm going to come work on your show. Um, isn't that weird? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So then I, I, you know, went out to upstate for three months. we we shot making fun and I, I, you know, was behind the scenes. I was an associate producer for the whole season. Um, kind of helping with the builds, all the materials, things like that. And then um, I didn't go out there with the intent to be on an episode, but things kind of fell into to place and that's how it went. So, yeah. How was it? Was it any, did it feel different? I mean, obviously, you know, make, making fun isn't really a competition type show. It's more of a, it's more of a, you know, I almost want to say documentary style show where it's like a, a, there's a premise and a thing happens and then there's the end. Um, how did it feel? How did it feel different? How did it feel the same? Did you, did you enjoy it as much as working on making it or? Um, do you mean, it was different, but do you mean behind the scenes or kind of both, both like in front of the camera and behind the scenes? Cause I know that, you know, people, people will tell you that Netflix is a different, a different animal to work with from like traditional companies. They're a little more nimble, a little fast moving, a little more kind of figure it out as they go kind of thing. So just kind of curious to see what your impressions were having worked for a major network and then having worked for Netflix also. Yeah. I, well, for me, TV is fast paced and I feel like every day is a little different. Like it's just like, get the job done, whatever the job is. (laughs) Um, but, uh, getting out to, to Jimmy's for making fun. And, and this is kind of, because it's a season one show, like there's no roadmap and mm-hmm. we didn't necessarily know what we were making because it's like, we're just, there was no pilot for making fun. It was just like, we're going to go film eight episodes. We have kind of a plan, but um, I think we had one week, maybe 10 days bef- on, on Jimmy's farm before we started filming. And when we got to the barn, it was like, it wasn't set up. It was, you know, my, my coworker, Laura and I, we had to outfit the whole barn to make it work for camera for to make it work for the team to build stuff and and fill it with spray paints and all things like that so um it really was kind of ground up and it it did feel like we were hitting the ground running um but 
it was interesting being on a show that was not because on, on, on making it like a competition show, I'm not in charge. I'm not responsible for what the contestants are going to make. But mm-hmm. for making fun, we did have to make sure that they had everything that they needed to, to you know, get get all the projects done. And that was I, I liked kind of being able to work creatively with the guys and and kind of tag team to set them up for success. And that was fun. Yeah. One of the so, things it's interesting to hear you talk about that, because one of the things that I noticed when we watched Making Fun in Our House was obviously the, the for the first few episodes, the, the guys on camera were great. But I remember noticing all the little details. And I said this six times to my family being like, whoever is working behind the camera is working in overdrive because, you know, like <laughs> the lines on the fields and the, the like shirts and the jerseys with the names on them. And I remember noticing all those details. So that was you. Yep, it was my it. team. No, it was all my team. And, and truly, like, I, making fun, we had a blast making that show. And we really had such a great team out there. Um, and I think everybody brought just their A game and they brought their special skills to the tables to the table. And um, for things like those jerseys, it really would be like, okay, on a Tuesday, they'd be like, oh, we need jerseys tomorrow. <laughs> Can you guys do it? Make them look great. Yeah, and you're in upstate New York, too. It's in the middle of nowhere for the listeners right. if you're not familiar. Well, Jimmy would always be like, it's just a drive away. And I'd be like, yeah, Jimmy, an hour drive away. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he also used to drive regularly between East Durham and Manhattan, which is not exactly around the corner. So True, true. But, yeah. Yeah, you, you, you are... Now I'm see you've now I'm kind of starting to wonder. So you have all these, you know, you've done a lot of creative and making type things, you know, as a profession for other people. When when do when do you have time to pursue your stuff and what stuff do you pursue? And I'm see okay, the laugh is already happening like, yeah, you think I pursue my own stuff, but what is what is you know what are your escapes like i mean a lot of times when we have people on the show we always talk about how there are people who are you know in it or have some kind of you know softer skill where they don't produce a tangible thing so their escape is making and you know crafting and stuff like that but you're the opposite like your thing is the making and the crafting so what's your escape look like and do you actually have any time for it? <laughs> well, that, well, that's a loaded question. Sure is. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I like, I have like a visceral reaction to that question just in my own personal life, but I'm curious to hear what you have to say, Justine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, so I, I, when I first graduated college, I was working for anthropology, which is, I mean, it was a full-time art job, which was so great because like, I didn't go into that job knowing how to use power tools. I learned that on the fly and, and I, I'm so grateful for my time there, but because my job was creative, I, it was really hard for me to go, you know, punch out on Friday and then take my weekend to make something. Cause I'd be like, I, I can't, <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. I, <laughs> there's, I, there's I just, no gas I, in the tank at that point. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. and so that was part of the reason why I left that job is because I really wanted to, I thought, okay, maybe I can achieve more of that balance if I do get something that's a little less, you know, a full-time job that's a little less creative. And um, I guess the creative life kind of called me back in a way. Um, and I, I, every time I wrap a job now, when I'm, I'm working behind the scenes on TV, I'm like, okay, I'm going to take some time off, especially because working behind the scenes is truly, I mean, you don't have a lot of time off. They're long days. 
Um, and then every time I say I'm going to take time off, I don't. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I actually I have a month uh, right now. Uh, my next job doesn't start until the end of the month. So I'm really trying to like reassess and kind of figure out what that means for me as a creative, especially because my skill set is so wide, it's hard for me to like pinpoint what I want to do. Yeah. I Something that I noticed in your content is that you do a lot with textiles. Is that mm -hmm. just a, a recent thing or is that something that's deeper seated for you? Deeper rooted, um, whatever that phrase is. Well, truthfully, I think a lot of the content that I, the content that I put out, which is very minimal because I'm, I've been so busy. Um, I have, for my whole life, I've been constrained to my apartment okay. um, for a workspace. So a lot of the stuff that I'm, that I do is dining room table, table size, because that's all I have. Um, yeah. But I just got my own studio about a month ago. Um, and I'm kind of trying to figure out what, how I want to utilize that space because I do love to build and I like to make bigger things. Um, I'm just trying to figure out what that is. So right now I'm making a surfboard, which is kind of a passion project, I guess. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. I, I guess I'm just trying to refocus and, and think about what makes me happy because so much of what I've done in the past has been for other companies or bigger projects. Yeah. That's kind of what I was feeling. Like I can imagine, you know, if you're somebody that has creative inclinations to feel like you're constantly, I don't, it sounds negative. I don't mean it that way, but to constantly be burning your creativity for other people. It's like, do I get to do this for me at some point? Like I feel it. I've been feeling it recently where I'm doing a lot of commission stuff again. And it's like, oh, I don't have time to do stuff for me right now. Like, I don't. Like, I'm returning tomorrow to a project that I started a month and a half ago and have made no progress on because it's just been that kind of busy, which, all right, fine, granted, I'm not, I'm, that's not a complaint. Business is good, fine, whatever. But there are times where it's like, God, I would love to just sit at a table and just make something cool for me because I want to you know, rather than trying to follow along with what people want me to do, you know, so I could totally relate to that. I was just having this thought today, actually. So. Yeah, for sure. Totally. And, and you said that the surfboard's like a passion project for you. Now you have me curious. What goes into making a surfboard? Because I would, t I, as someone from the East Coast, I would think you just, you know, cut a piece of wood to the right shape. It's, it's so there's a couple different ways to do it. Um, well, I guess not. You can make one out of wood. There's actually a really great place in Maine called Grain where you can okay. take a, a, a workshop and make it out of, you know, you cut all the little pieces and you wrap the wood around. They're beautiful. Um, but if you want to make one from stuff from Home Depot, which is more my style, um, <laughs> uh, it's it's basically just EPS insulation foam. So like that white beaded foam, okay. you put like a stringer out of wood and then attach the... Um, the foam to that um and then shaping it like you can you can make all different shapes depending on how you want to ride it i am a very inexperienced surfer I I would, that was gonna be my follow-up question so, <laughs> like, no, my, my main goal is if this one floats great and then i'll i'll go from there <laughs> <laughs> not going under is the goal that's the goal mm -hmm. for today yeah yeah well, well i mean you are in california so it's almost like you 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 know, if a maker goes to California, what is the most appropriate thing to make? I mean, surfboard has to be on the list somewhere. Yeah, <laughs> we should. I should. I should get you in touch with Austin Saunders because he is. Um, he's a reasonably well-known. Well, he was a reasonably well-known surfboard designer, 
and I'm pretty sure he can give you a few tips on how to uh, how to do it. If you're interested, if you're uh, interested yeah, in making you know, that kind of connection, or if you want to just do it yourself, that's cool too. <laughs> no, that'd be great. And it's actually it's you know I I kind of started doing it because I was like you know that wouldn't be cool if I did that, but. I've never done it before, so I'm learning a lot, but it's also, it's so nuanced because, you know, you have to shape it correctly. And if you take too much off one side, then you got to go and do it on the other side. And I've, I've really been enjoying doing it. I don't know how it will work, but, um, but I think just truthfully taking a step back from like, like you said, commissioned work or, or work that, you know, is, has, I don't know, like a prop making job, for example. Sure. It's been really nice to kind of let my brain slow down a little bit and just make something for the sake of making it, which has been really fun. Yeah. Do you do you find yourself because it's interesting when especially with something like a um, something like a surfboard, which kind of does have to have like very specific. It's got to be made a very specific way. Do you are you a perfectionist or are you more of a like a get it done, make it work kind of person? I think I'm a little bit of both. Um, okay. And it's funny. I, it, I, that makes me think of the final episode of making it when, so Simon Doonan and Dana, uh, Isom Johnson are the, the, the judges and they came around and were kind of doing their drop in and they were interviewing us. And Dana said like, Oh, well it's pristine Justine. Like you're such a perfectionist. <laughs> And I was like taken aback, like what? I'm like, thank you for that for thinking that. But I, I think I told her, I don't even know if this made the cut, but I told her, Dana, like I, I mess up all the time. I just know how to hide it. And I think I like mm. turned something around and was like, see, this part's all melted. Like I, I like I totally messed something up, but had like arranged it in a way that you couldn't see. So I think I I'm a little a healthy balance of both, I think. Okay. There is there is this there is this theory that you know where the skill starts to come in as a maker as someone who makes things and whatever that the skill comes in when you can you can hide your mistakes better right where your mistakes look like they either you don't see them or they look intentional or they look like design choices more than they look like you know oops you know oh look I put duct tape over that yeah that's a mistake but you know <laughs> No, I meant to put duct tape there because it's an artistic choice because the silver contrasted with the black, you know? <laughs> yeah. I don't think totally. any maker can look and say that they've made a single project that went perfectly from start to finish. You know what I mean? I don't think no. I've ever made something that I just made every correct choice. Even my best work, yeah. I find flaws in it, like regularly. Yeah. That's interesting. I never, you know, you're right. You're right. But and sometimes, you know, so I, I just had this with, with um, that board that I put on my Instagram yesterday, right? Mm -hmm. I love that board. It's one of the coolest boards I've ever made. It's beautiful. There are like a couple of flaws in it that I had to just go, you are just being a perfectionist. Like, just stop. It, no one is going to notice that. Like, and I, I always have trouble finding that balance, like between, is it going to be something that, I'm noticing because I'm being a perfectionist or is it something where, Ooh, huh? Like <laughs> if they see this, is, are they going to think less of the overall work? You know, I, I don't know. I don't know how I'm really bad at handling that really bad <laughs> at it. There's something to be said well, for that. Did it? Yeah, go, you can go. <laughs> 
Oh, we might be saying the same thing, but didn't Bob Ross say like, there's no mistakes, only happy accidents. And yeah, I, I, I think that's kind of true. Like you're never going to make a pro or maybe other people make perfect projects, but I certainly don't. So <laughs> <laughs> being able to like step back and be like, okay, this isn't quite right, but how do I change that? Like, is it a tweak in the color scheme? Is it, um, you know, changing the shape slightly? It's just, and I kind of feel this way about making things and art in general, like it's all creative problem solving and it's all kind of going with the flow. And I, I think it's how you approach that and, and get used to that. That's your creative process. Do you find your, do you find those inclinations to make the best, most perfect version of something are stronger when you're working for yourself or when you're working for someone else? Only because uh, when I work for myself, I'm much more of the, that's good enough. That'll do. No one's ever going to see that. Like, oh, that cutting board doesn't sit flat on the counter. That's all right. It's good enough. <laughs> Sand it until it does. Good enough. You know, but if I make one for a customer, it's like, no, that damn thing better be level, like perfectly level, you know, and I put way more pressure on myself for customers. So I'm just wondering, like you as someone who is, you know, can in your own pursuits or self-starter, and then you've worked for a lot of other people doing creative stuff. Where do you find your standards are higher for yourself or for them? Or uh, <laughs> without getting in trouble. Yeah, yeah. yeah you don't have to. If you, <laughs> if you just slap stuff together for anybody, that's cool. We won't. We don't judge. <laughs> so I think. Um, I think for me at least, I don't really. I don't. I think I'm cool. I, I strive for to get the job done and to do the best I can. Mm -hmm for both myself and a client. Uh, and I think for me, well, per, I think there's, there's actually something to be said about knowing when to stop too, because like yes. for me, <laughs> I could go forever and it's like, Oh, you know what? We'll just make this so much better. I need to like do gold piping or something. Like, okay. Well, <laughs> we need tassels. This needs tassels like now. <laughs> yes, exactly. And so like, but if I'm if I take a step back and say, okay, well, did you execute the vision? Did you complete the project? Like, how what, what what am i trying to say um i'm always trying, trying not to over complete the project <laughs> yeah and i'm always trying to gauge like what will pay off for me the most like okay mm -hmm. is this am i is is this element gonna be worth the time and energy and materials to get that payoff like it, it's it's about for me like what will be most impactful that's also like works for me as a maker or me as an installer um but I think I, I really do try to like hit that sweet spot of completion, whether yeah. it's for a client or for myself. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm reminded of something I learned like way back when I was a kid that I think there's a lot of wisdom in. And hear me out. I used to go to the quilt guild meetings with my mom and learn about quilting from a group of wonderful, sweet old ladies who would just talk with such passion about this niche interest of theirs and I remember one piece of advice or like nugget was that you always put a mistake in a hand done quilt on purpose because it made it so that you could step away from it where you mm -hmm. put you would intentionally mess up a block um you know because then you could be done and like in step away totally. and I think there's like actually probably something to that yeah you know and I personally and maybe this comes from my days in anthropology we always used to call um we if, if something looked like too perfect mm. we always say like oh it needs a touch of the hand and yeah 
that means is like go in and like fray an edge or like make a, a, if you had a bunch of things in the same color make a couple that are a little bit off just so it looks handmade it looks bespoke it looks like it doesn't look like it came from a machine or a factory it, it came from someone somewhere which yeah. i think is is a cool part of of storytelling as like an artist you know in itself yeah i love that i, I, like, I love I love this idea of a touch of the hand. Like that's, that's kind of a cool, a cool way to put it. Like make it look like a human did it. Make it look right? like a human did it. I like that. Yeah, and that way, if you have a little bit of a mistake, you can just be like, no, that's not a mistake. That's, 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 a, that's a touch of the hand. Actually. Yeah, a touch of the hand. <laughs> I love, I love this concept as someone who is trying to do more. Like I learned this weekend that I'm actually much better with the table saw than I ever allowed my lazy self to be. Can't be scared of a used... table saw. Oh, I'm definitely not scared of it, but I am a hundred percent lazy about it. Like <laughs> I, if I set it up to cut a certain whip, for example, I will leave it that way for six months. Like I don't want to readjust it. Nothing. Right. So I used to have a table saw and a miter saw in my shop, but now I only have a table saw. So it's, you're, I'm, you know, I could get the miter saw, but set it up. But it's like, no, I could do that on the table saw, dude. Just do it on the table saw. And I'm starting to learn that, like, oh, you should have been doing it this way all along. Like, why aren't you doing it this? Why weren't you doing it this way? Like, I'm, juice grooves are my nemesis. And we'll talk about that in a little bit. But <laughs> juice grooves are my nemesis. Well, now I'm doing them by hand in my cutting boards. And mm -hmm. I've done two boards in a row with handmade juice grooves in them. And it's like, one of them had a little bit of a nick taken out of the corner, but he loves the board. He doesn't care. And this one yesterday that I made had a little bit of a wave and a little bit of a wobble in the groove. And it's fine. It's okay. Yeah. It's a touch of the hand. Like, I a have, touch of I, the hand. <laughs> I've accepted. I accepted it. And now I know what to call it when I accept it. Yeah. So this is awesome. <laughs> Another thing that I always try to shift my perspective with, too, is that, you know, your work needs to reflect where you're at right now. And... Mm -hmm. If something I make, because I've had projects that I thought were so great, and then you look back at them three years later and and just kind of chuckle at myself. I'll, I'll, I'll speak for myself. I'll look back at things that I thought were so great years later, and then I'll chuckle at myself and think, <laughs> I was so proud of this. <laughs> like, oh, sheesh. And then, you know, you compare it to the thing that I, you know, messed up so horribly last week. And, and you know, it's just important to remember that your work's always a reflection of you where you're yeah. at right now as a maker. So if there's a mistake or if the juice groove is a little wonky, it's because where you're at right now, the juice grooves are a little wonky and that just is what it is. Yeah. There's nothing and wrong no, with that. Right. Part of it is that, that no one minds either, right? Like, it's like, yeah. And again, that goes back to the perfectionist thing. That's why I'm so fascinated by asking people that. Like, that's why I asked if you were considered yourself more of a perfectionist or a get it done. Or, you know, I tend to just try to do the best I can, but I do obsess over things that no one notices. And that's, it's a problem. Yeah. It's a definite problem. Oh, I think we all do though. I mean, or at least I do. I for sure <laughs> obsess over things that don't matter, but and getting over that hump can be hard, but then there is also a balance of like working with what you have. Okay. You know what? This all got dyed the wrong color. Well, what are we going to do? Am I going to obsess over it? Or we're we just going to like, you know, make a pivot and, and move on. And, and I think, uh, Brooke, to your point, like looking at work that you've done in the past is like, I, I had someone after making it ask me like, well, how did you get so good at this stuff? And like, the truth is I allowed myself to be mediocre at it for a very long time. Yeah. And 
there's a reason that I pulled, you know, I went and, and pulled some things off my website because I don't want anyone to look at yeah. them. <laughs> <laughs> learn from them. They were crucial to my process, but that doesn't mean everybody has to see them <laughs> anymore. Yeah, no, I love that. I talk all the time on this podcast about how much I despise the word talented. Whenever oh. people think, okay, you're with me on this one because whenever people will look in something and be like, you're just so talented. I'm like, no, I work. I messed up a lot. You know, realistically, it's such a flippant way to look at it. And I think it's kind of flippant for someone who's worked for years and years at something. But I also think it's the most discouraging way to look at it for someone who's just learning because they're going to be sitting there thinking, well, I'm not talented. Like Mm. I'm not, God didn't pick me to be yeah, good well, at this and the thing that like you know i do think people have eyes for it or like are innately drawn to think creative pursuits but i i'm totally with you and i think that it is something that you have to practice and you have to learn and um i, I it's my personal opinion that anybody can make stuff anybody yeah. can figure out art and like paint or do whatever it is that makes you know you're drawn to but it is about allowing yourself to 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 i guess be vulnerable and to make those mistakes it's a little harder when they're when they're in front of you and you can see them. It's not yeah. like a mistake on an essay that you turn in and you never see again. But, you yes. know what it is. But um, yeah, I, I think there's this elusiveness to creativity and people who artists, I guess, where it feels unattainable. But I think that most people have it in them to, I, to make. I agree completely. You just have to practice. The hard part's sticking with it. That's what's hard. Is is mm-hmm. you know what I heard? Ah, I heard another good one. Another good nugget. I think this was from TikTok too, which I hate quoting TikTok because it sounds so blah, but I think I'm quoting TikTok right now, everyone. And it was the rule of thirds where you always want to look at your, your days and you should be feeling really great about yourself a third of the time. And you should be feeling like absolute garbage and like really, really have challenging days a third of the time. And you should be feeling very neutral and average a third of the time. And it should stay that split. If you're in that split, you're pushing yourself an appropriate level where if any one of those thirds is out of whack, you need to readjust because you're not going to be living up to your full potential. And I was like, huh, I liked that. I think it was a um, a coach talking about athletic pursuits or like training for the Olympics or something. But I thought about it and was thinking about creativity through that lens as well, where if you are having a bad day. It's like, yeah, no, this I is like just that. one of those days and I did it. And so now that day's yeah. done and we'll go on to the next one. Well, I, ju- I just want you to know that I was writing. So a little behind the scenes stuff for this show, for everybody. Most of the time, the show notes are written because I have a rough idea of what we're going to talk about before we have. So if we're going to have, you know, Justine on, I kind of know what we're going to talk about roughly. So that that's enough for the show notes because we don't do super detailed show notes. And I almost called Justine a very talented maker. No, I would have told you to change that. I would have. Okay. So this is the funny part ever since. So Brooke and I, Brooke and I had this conversation a couple of weeks ago. Mm -hmm. And ever since then, I do not use the word talented at all anymore. Yeah. You have to try. It just doesn't come out. Pick a different word, you know? So, but what I do think, what I do think, okay. (laughs) I do think there is a certain amount of natural ability that is defined by actual talent. Mm-hmm. But I also think that a lot of skill can overcome a complete lack of talent. Skill, skill is so much more for the long haul. Skill is 100%. so much more more talent profound. might get you in the door. Yeah, but skill, you know, you you skill, you can learn a skill and have no talent for it and, and the, still be good at it. And the thing is, if you're like talented and you have a bad day 
it like can potentially just destroy you to your core. Cause it's like, oh my God, I failed at the thing I'm talented at. And it's like, right? no, 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 this you is... had a bad day. It's okay. Anyway. This is what my natural <laughs> instincts are and I suck at it. What am yeah. I going to do with my life? <laughs> anyway, it's just like, it's like connecting it too much to the sense of self or something. I don't know. Totally. That's a Brooke quirk, but I'm so glad that you agree, Justine, because. <laughs> oh, you know, I, I used to I get feel like a jerk. That word and I, but I, I think it's for me, at least when I would put all this work in and someone would come up and be like, oh, you're so talented. It feels like they don't understand that. Like, no, I struggled. To get <laughs> I to practice. It invalidates the work that got you there kind you of know, in a weird way. That's a but great I, point. It's always someone that has never done it themselves. That is like talented. <laughs> yeah. And I, and I, I, you know, I appreciate that. Cause I, or I, I don't knock anyone that uses it because I, I know what they I know what they mean. Oh sure. Yeah, yeah. But I think like, I know what you're trying right. to say. Yeah, yeah. Assume yeah. benign intent. That's a very important <laughs> way to live your life. But yeah, I think it's there's that quote that's like uh talent or hard work beats talent when talent fails to work hard. And it's mm. like it, it's a balance of it's a balance, you know? And and, sure. and and as soon as it gets out of balance, you know, by the way. Assume, like, 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 for example, school for school is a good example for me because I never had to study. I had a talent for picking up, not picking up knowledge on the fly and retaining it. Right. So I never had to study. When I got to college, I got my ass kicked. Why? Because you can't do that in college. Exactly. Unless you're, when you're just talented, it's just like it like you're just it's it's weaker because you don't know 100%. how to work hard. A hundred percent. Like I never had to work hard in school until I got to college. And I was like, I, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not good at this. Like, <laughs> I'm out. I'm out. And I did. I never finished college. Yeah. Look at the wild raving success I've become. <laughs> oh, stop. Podcast. <laughs> oh, stop. Podcast. That's, that's just, that's persistence and it's consistency, you know? You. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's cool. But yeah, it is. It is true, though. I, I and Brooke, I think, Brooke, the way you explained it to me that day that you said you hate the word talent, it really made me start thinking about the difference between talent and skill. Yeah. And it's like I, you know, to what you were saying, Justine, I understand when somebody says, you know, you're you're very talented. I say thank you. I don't say ask. Do you understand? Okay. Vincent, <laughs> like, I, I say thank you, too. Just just yeah. for the record. No, I know. I know. But I'm saying. <laughs> But like I, I can, you know, it does, I, it does eat at me a little bit because yeah. I do or, understand you know like is. as someone who worked very hard at learning all these skills that I have, it's like, oh, talent. I don't oh, know you, if you it's think like, I was born this way. I don't know if it's like the teacher in me because I'm used to being in the shop with kids or like, you know, teenagers. And it's like the least helpful compliment you can give someone <laughs> when it's a child or like a kid or something, you know? Yeah, there's a book on mindset, actually, that I listened to not long ago. And it talked about like, the difference of telling a child like, oh, you, you are really good at this. Or like, oh, that's beautiful. What you know, if someone paints a picture or whatever, mm -hmm. versus like, you must have really worked hard to do that. Yeah. And, like, and, and it is a simple shift in mindset where it's like, the person receiving that is like, I did work hard. Now I value what I did. Um, I don't know. I'm not doing the book justice. <laughs> I think I think I get what you're saying, though. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's more empowering. It's a more empowering compliment. Right. That's like you did this, not well, just you, you work, are this. If you yeah. worked really hard, I don't want to be rewarded as much for the end product Ooh. as much as I want to be rewarded for the work that went into it. Sure. And you know, just coming out and saying the end product is beautiful. I appreciate that. I'm not an idiot. I'm a vacuous hole for reformations. We've already defined <laughs> that's another that. Brooke sentence, isn't it? That is a Brooke. That's a classic Brookism. But 
you know, I do, but yeah, it's, it's, if you worked on something, if you work really hard on something, just being told, Hey, that's really nice. It's really pretty. Okay. Thanks. Yeah. Like, thank yeah. you. I take the compliment as it was intended, but man, I really wish you would have said, how did you do that? And then I could have told you all the crazy things I had to do to pull it off. Yeah. You know, I just thought of a great question for you, Justine. Ooh. Okay. <laughs> Ooh. Sorry. I don't know. Maybe I did. I just hyped Sit this up right, too much. Grab my drink. Um, I no, know. What, when you what, think what, about when you think about being a kid, like, can you think of a teacher or, or a role model as a kid that had a profound impact on you as an adult? Yeah. I mean, I guess I wasn't like a, a kid kid. I was in high school, but um, I just want to give a shout out to my teacher, Ed Parker, who taught at Andover High. He, um, I took a few classes with him and he actually, he came, to, I had a, a small party when I, when I one making it we like watched at my house and he actually ended up coming to watch what or to, to my party um but he he had gone to mass art too and so when I was applying to schools you know we had conversations and he was kind of my mentor and I just remember at one point and, and this kind of stuck with me because I think a lot of artists go through this struggle but he said don't don't let anyone make you feel bad for trying to make a living off of your art. Like you don't mm -hmm. have to be a starving artist that, and you can figure it out. And there is no shame in making money from what you do. Mm -hmm. wow. And yeah. I think I didn't really understand what he, you know, I was in high school. I was like, you know, I was working in a coffee shop. My job wasn't art artistic, but um, it, it really stuck with me. And a lot of the things that we talked about in his class and just the way he taught, um, kind of would like come up and surface through my college career and, and, you know, sense. So yeah. I, I think shout out to Mr. Parker. I think that's really awesome. Cause I, I don't know if you relate with this to growing up in Andover. I grew up in Acton, if you're familiar. And I think it's in the culture here, it's not necessarily one. Everyone's like, it feels like rather like everyone's like, oh, you're not going to become a lawyer or a doctor. Like what, what a failure. <laughs> like that's it. And that's the end of the sentence period. And yeah. So, wow. Like I said, I don't know yeah. if that was the vibe in Andover either, but. Well, you know, I, I'm, my parents and my family were super supportive and like, I mean, I think they were a little bit like, you want to do what now? And I was like, <laughs> I want to go to art school, but they were super supportive and, you know, rolled with the punches and everything I threw at them. But, um, I, I did kind of feel like it's been really interesting to be on the West coast. Cause I, I think that there's a different approach to art and I'm sure there is in, in New York as well, but when I was at least graduating from college, it did feel like, well, if you're going to go into art, you better be a graphic designer and you better have a degree. And and I was just like, I can't, I can't, I can't sit in front of a computer all day. I've, I've tried it. It doesn't make me fun to be around. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> um, and, but I think it has really opened my eyes, uh, even being on the, on this coast and I'm a true New Englander. Like I, I hope to make my way back there. And I, but I do think that being out here, um, in California, it's opened my eyes to the possibility of what you can do with with the arts and um, that there there is a place for us in the world. Yeah, yeah it, might, it just might not be, you know, on the red line between like Kendall and MIT. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But I, I think that art is everywhere. And I've always felt that. And so um, it's just about figuring out figuring out how to get into your your little niche. Yeah, for sure. And I love that you had an exact teacher to say. I, I was yeah. fully expecting you to go, hmm, 
<laughs> but you knew exactly who it was. So I appreciate huh. it. Yeah. There's, there's something to be said. There's something to be because what's interesting is that there's almost, and I've heard this from a lot of artists because I have a lot of artist friends and I've heard this from a lot of artists where making money off your art is frowned upon like in a weird way. Like it's, you're not supposed like if you're a true artist, you give your art away into the world and let the world benefit from it. And I'm like, that's great, but I got bills to pay, you know, like it's, it's wonderful to say that. And in an ideal world where, you know, everything is free and, you know, we can all do exactly what we want, make no money and still live a good life. That's fine. But if I can take something I'm good at and make money doing it, all right, even if it's my art, then it's my art, then fine. I'll make money doing my art. I think that's a great thing to tell someone that's young because from a very young age, you're kind of convinced otherwise, like that it's yeah. a bad idea. Like, don't do it. Don't commercial. Don't commercialize. Don't sell out all that. You hear it all the time. It's it's so common that we don't even it doesn't even register when somebody says someone's a sellout. You go, yeah, right. <laughs> you yeah. Know? I feel like it's a little bit different now um, where it is so accessible to put yourself out there as a maker mm -hmm. or an artist. But because you I can put yourself out there yes whereas when i was graduating high school you know like instagram didn't exist so yeah. you know there was the idea of a sellout but yeah. <laughs> anyway it did it just stuck with me and i i think that is one That's cool brilliant. thing i mean we could go on forever but i do think that now it's a little different and and there are so many ways to capitalize as an is artist it, so. isn't it funny like i always think about that like teachers teachers in particular they never you never know what you're going to say to a kid like you'll have a, you'll have a kid for five years maybe yeah. and you'll say one sentence and that one sentence will change your life i had a spanish teacher yeah i had the worst stage fright in the universe like i could not speak in front of people i could not talk in front of a room i couldn't do it like i was i would get basically paralyzed right and all she told me was of course you can do it you just gotta want to do it that's all she said to me is you have to want to do it stop thinking you can't and decide that you want to do it and you'll do it and now i can talk in front of room like i am good at giving presentations in front of room like i'm i'm the guy in the corporate lineup where if i'm giving a powerpoint presentation I'm walking back and forth in front of the stage. I have the remote in my hand because I want to control the slides as I'm talking. You know, I'm that guy. Mm -hmm. But it, it's weird. I went from the stage right guy all because this one Spanish teacher said one sentence to you know me. It's like, you, gotta, you have to want to do it and then just do it. And it's yeah. like, yeah, it works. Yeah. It works. And the other thing, I love teaching. Like, to my core, I'm not teaching currently at the moment, but that's like my thing. I love it and I miss it so bad. And one of the things that makes me love it so much is that exact thing. And furthermore, it's never the kid you think And sometimes it is where sometimes I'll like, I'll be teaching a group of kids and you just can, you like you, you're like, yeah, I just am really connecting with such and such a student. I'm really, I feel like they're, they're catching what I'm throwing here, but more often than not, when you get the email after the session or you get the email months <laughs> down the road from a parent saying, I just wanted to tell you, you know, whatever, it's the kid that was quietly in the back. And I'm often, more often than not, I'm thinking, I had no idea that they were connecting so much to this to the point that it was making a difference in how they were talking about their day at home and stuff. So, wow. Anyway, <laughs> teachers, moments. man. That's, mm -hmm. that's, that's what we do it for, right? That's yeah. what we do it for. That's why, that's why I, I do think that that's one of the reasons that I've started to get more active now 
in like the various like on people in people's YouTube comments and in people's Instagram comments. And, you know, I'm act I'm much more active on people's discords and on people's chats and all, all this stuff. I'm much more active is because I'm starting to realize that I can help people. And I know that sounds really dumb. Like you've been doing this a long time, bro. That didn't change. No, but I'm starting to feel like I can have an impact on people. Like I, even if I give them one tip that changes something about the way they're doing and it enables them to kind of open up their creativity a little bit. I'm real. I really, really get off on that now. Like I, yeah. somebody will come back to me and go, what you said worked. It was brilliant. Thank you so much. And I'll just be like, all right. Cool. <laughs> well, I mean, that's, that's the biggest, one of my favorite things about the maker community in general is learning from other people. And like, yeah. even just like little tricks, it's like, I'll, I'll be doing something and I'll look over and someone's doing something. Oh, I've never done it that way before. I do it this way. And then, you know, you, you learn from each other and, and I don't know, that's, that's Every, part of the most, it's so inspiring. Everyone's yeah. better for it. Mm-hmm. Everything I did for this wedding, I learned how to do on YouTube. <laughs> don't you Everything. love that? everything there wasn't one single thing that i made for this wedding that i did not learn how to do from youtube and it's like that while i was doing all this stuff i'm i'm thinking like okay my pay it forward is going to be make sure that you make sure that everyone understands everything you did like no secrets like no trade secrets none of that stuff just tell people what you did and share share the wealth just share the wealth you know what wealth we should be sharing right now, though? Sure. What is it? <laughs> We're segueing. Th- We're doing it. Okay. It's going to be the things of the week because it's that time of the episode. Because believe it or not, we've been talking to Justine for an hour. I always say this every week, but it never stops surprising me how quickly that hour goes. But um, we got a few more minutes. So, uh, Justine, why don't you tell us about your thing of the week? Okay. Well, um, Truthfully, I saw Top Gun on Sunday. And <laughs> I still haven't seen it yet. Oh my gosh. My, tr- my inner soundtrack is just Danger Zone right now. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, As you make your surfboard. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so highly, that was, that was highly recommended. It was, I was thoroughly entertained. But um, in all seriousness, I am also listening to um, Don't Keep Your Day Job by Kathy Heller, oh, which she is she has a podcast too. Um, she is a songwriter and she kind of just talks about how she figured out, figured out her own path. And, um, you know, as someone who's kind of trying to figure out what's next for, for me as a creative, it's been really cool to hear some like success stories and just, uh, a little bit of inspiration. So cool. Um, My apologies if I'm like rolling the interview later into the show, but I was going to ask you, um, like, what do you, what would be the dream next thing that you could work on? If you even know, or if you're still figuring that out, that's super valid too. Um, you know, I, 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 I have this wide skill set that like I've kind of been making props for, or, I mean, kind of props if you look at what what we did for making fun, but I would really like to uh, get a house and, and try to do a little bit of renovation because I, I, my time in anthropology plus my, my build experience, I really like creating spaces yeah. and to make something of my own would be uh, kind of my next goal, I think. For those of you that don't get to see the video, she has the most impressive looking living room. Like I, Brooke and I are just like wanting to live there. So like, it looks very I, West coast. It really does. Like you, <laughs> you've nailed the West coast vibe in a profound way. So I appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> and I was, is- I was actually going to make a joke about how like 
the, the like stereotype is that women from Boston just wear black t-shirts and, and jeans and, and Justine and I are both in black t-shirts. We wore our <laughs> uniforms. We did. We wore our uniforms. <laughs> I love it. But love you're it. in your West Coast apartment and it all works. It all makes sense. Of course. Yeah. Um, yeah. Brooke. Okay. My thing of the week. Okay. I'm, I hope I can explain this properly. Um, oh but boy. it's, it's, it's these sheets of laserable, le- uh, sorry, laserable rubber sheets. You can purchase them off of Amazon and it's like 12 bucks for a pack of two. Mm-hmm. And the I orange use rubber them, for the, the orange rubber. Yeah, I, I think I have orange cause that was cheaper to purchase than a non orange color. But for the orange one is the cheapest. The orange, the orange is the cheapest. So I went with the orange, but yeah, it was like something like 12 bucks, 10 bucks mm-hmm. for two sheets of it. And you can laser engrave it on. I did it on my Glowforge, and it, and you can make rubber stamps really easily. And the reason it's my thing of the week is because for starters, if you have a laser cutter, it's a really easy process and a super affordable way to do your own branding or custom logos and things like that, where you don't need to sub it out or anything. Like I was able to get out of one sheet, you know, I probably used what, like a 16th of the sheet to get a logo stamp out of it. Um, so it's just an awesome option. If you have a laser cutter, give it a try. Yep. the rub- It's good rubber for it, too, because there's no PVC, so it's not going to screw up your laser. Yeah. It's not going to kill you with the gases. Definitely um, definitely don't try the process with something that's not specifically for a laser cutter. 100%. Um, and, and also be prepared, as someone who's used the orange rubber and the <laughs> pink rubber, it makes an absolute horrific smell and mess. Everything like in, the the laser color you- makes it, in the laser cutter makes a, makes a horrible smell. Eh, wood ain't so bad, but oh, this rubber's bad. Leather's the worst, but this 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 rubber is really, really, yeah. really. St- and Whenever, the ash in the laser the, is just the unbearable. rubber smells not so bad, but it's not as bad as like fabric and leather. Leather's Those the, are the worst. worst. Uh, I think, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> when we did the Enlighten Us challenge, I made I cut all of the leather keychains. Leather's all like thirty six of them in my Glowforge. It was a three hour cut and an engrave. Leather and smells we, like burning flesh, which I guess makes sense. Sorry. It literally does. It's it's it smelled like we were sacrificing dogs in the basement. Yeah. It really did. Yeah. It was horrible. It's it, there's an image, right? <laughs> the yeah. curtain, the curtain material that I have always kicks off an odor. Like whenever I take the oh, shop yeah. to do any of that laser cutting, I need to like just inform everyone that that's happening that day, so people can decide if they want to vacate or not. <laughs> wow, it's wow. it's a smell. But yeah, the orange rubber, that's a good yeah. that's a good one. And actually, if you want to see it in action, Brooke used it in her first episode four. Episode was, four, the Christmas the episode. Rubber. Yes. Which is um, coming out in July because my editing was slow. Okay. Can can <laughs> I ask you a question about that video yeah. actually? Sure, because sure, sure. While I, while I was watching it, how do you know how to design the live hinges as well as you do? Because that bow was awesome. Sketch it. Like you just have to think about like if you're working with an eighth inch thick um piece of wood which i believe is Mm -hmm. what i use there or whatever um you have to think where this is going to bend you don't want the the solid piece of wood to be not like a cube for Mm -hmm. lack of a better way to say it like where 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 it's going to need to start bending a little bit that's just where you stick the hinge I sketch them. I just like do it, do it by hand at this point. But yet again, one of those things that just takes practice pattern making. I love doing, but it just takes practice. 
She's Brooke. Brooke is the queen of the live hinge, by the way. The love queen a living hinge. of the live hinge. And it's just watching you do it. I'm like, okay, I got to ask like what the process is. Cause clearly you, you have a method and you do it. A, you do a certain thing. I was mm-hmm. just, that's, there you go. There's your, there's a course for Maker's yeah. Workshop. Teach people how to, <laughs> so I actually, how to design them. I'm working on that. I have a, I, oh gosh, this is so much self-promotion, y'all. Let, let's just, okay. let's just lean into it. Um, I have a class that's live on makersworkshop.com that's designing for a, um, designing in Adobe Illustrator for laser cutting specifically. It's a series cool. of builds and, and I design things real time with you, whoever's taking the class. Um, yeah to learn some of the basics and eventually it's going to cover living hinges. So stay tuned. Perfect. Once it does, then that's when I'm going to take the class because that's what I need. That's the knowledge gap I have. (laughs) You're here for the hinges. I'm here for, (laughs) I'm all about the hinges. What's your thing of the week? Oh, sorry. My thing of the week. It all hinges on that episode, Brooke. So (laughs) would you you say, Justine? I said it all hinges on that episode. Nice. She works in television, folks. (laughs) Um, my thing of the week is a total luxury item. I'm not going to pretend it's not okay. It's a total luxury item. It was a total splurge and it was absolutely 150% worth every cent that I spent on it. So a couple of weeks ago, um, one of my clients that was my biggest client for a while, then kind of fell off the face of the earth and suddenly returned as my biggest client, um, decided he wanted a cutting board. And every time he wants a cutting board, he joked, he would joke about wanting a juice groove. And I'd be like, no. No, but then I got to the point where I was making them on the CNC. So it's no big deal. Like you throw the bid in, you draw a square and you let the CNC make six passes, super light. And I was able to put juice grooves on boards and everybody was happy. Well, I don't have my CNC anymore, technically, technically. Um, So I had no way to make juice grooves. So he said, look, I'll buy a board from you. He goes, but it has to have a juice groove. Like there's no, there's no two ways about it. Like it has to have a juice groove. I'm like, dude, I, I can't do it. I don't have the machine anymore. He goes, I know you don't need the machine to do it. I'm like, damn it. <laughs> and I'm like, all right, fine. I'll make the jig. So I went back to my good friends at Maker's Workshop who once made a jig in a very similar way. Mm-hmm. And I followed the way that Michael made it because he, the way he made the jig one time, it was the smartest way I've ever seen it made. So I just said, screw it. I bought a big old piece of pine and I made the jig. And it and it worked. And, and it worked. <laughs> and, and it worked. I'm going to tell Michael you said you think he's smart. I am. You tell him. You could tell him he's smart and that he worked hard to get there. Yes. <laughs> yes. Very on brand. <laughs> but that jig Dedication. wasn't meant to be used more than once the way I made it. I literally put it together with pin nails. Like it was just to get me through the one project. So I was like, okay, fine. I want to buy a jig. Like, does anyone sell one? And it just so happens that David Miller of David Miller Designs posted about this jig from Kiwi Woodshop, and he uses it. And I saw this thing, and it's HDPE, and it's got thumb screws, and the, the, the bolts are integrated into the HDPE. The damn thing is beautiful. It's also $125. So I am sitting there going, all right, basically I'm going to eat one board to buy this jig. Like, I'm going to have to, but I have to get this jig because if it works as well as it looks like it works, it's going to be perfect. And you know what? It does. It is absolutely an absolutely fantastic, fantastic addition to the shop. Like, I will never go through the hassle of trying to set this up on a CNC. Even when I get my CNC back, if I do at some point, 
I'll still do them by hand because it's just so much easier to do them by hand with a router in this jig. This jig is absolutely fantastic. It's beautifully made. It's like half-inch HDPE, too. Like, it is it is a chunky boy. Um, and it expands up to, I think, 24 by 24. So that's a big cutting board. Like, you got to be cutting, like, whole cows to need a 24 by 24 cutting board. Um, it's it's just great. It does, does, That's all I could say about it. I was surprised at how good it was, and I was also surprised at how one pass with a low, with a bit that was probably a little too low, um, got a perfect result on the first try. So absolutely fantastic. I would highly recommend, if you're making a lot of cutting boards with juice grooves, $125 for a jig is expensive, but just because it's expensive doesn't mean it's overpriced. And it is most certainly not overpriced because it does what it says it's going to do. And it does it really, really well. You know who else does what they say they're going to do? <laughs> who is that? The people that support this show financially. And those people include Dave from Atomic Airship Works, Ed from Ed's Clocks and More, Chris from Full Steam Designs, Jeff Stein, a.k.a. a weird guy, Joey from JH Custom Woodcraft, Dean Duplantis of Making Our Way, Tony Langer of Langer Works, Jake from Make with Jake, Big Al Schultz of New York Woodworks, Justin Olfler of Bear Make It, Greg from Platte Valley Woodworks, Andrew Richard of Andrew Richard Makes, Kellen Hazlip of Kellen Makes, David from Southern Style DIY, Jeff the Weekend DIYer, Henry Davis of HT1 Metalworks, Austin Saunders, the High Caliber Craftsman, and of course, Matthew, the Wooden Mustache. If you'd like to support the podcast, you can do that at buymeacoffee.com slash make, or just click, click the link at becausewemake.com slash Hall of Fame, and you can just jump in there and support the show, and we really appreciate it. If you can't support the show financially, then by all means, leave a review, share the show, turn someone new onto it, because the more people you turn on, the more likely we are to get great guests like Justine. And you don't have to awkwardly introduce yourself at a at a maker <laughs> gathering to get someone to come on the show, which is even better. <laughs> well, you couldn't have been that bad. I came. I'm here. Yeah, that I was true. just going to say, you're really beating yourself up over this, huh, Vincent? Yeah. No, I really, honestly, I, I, it definitely isn't. I, I even admitted that I was probably going to pump up how awkward it was, but <laughs> it really felt awkward. Like to go up to someone and just go, I, I know you, you were on making it, right, Justine? It's it's just as awkward to be the person. <laughs> yeah. you're, you're fine. Cool. Does it happen but, often? This is so late in the show, like, or not really no. at all. No, it doesn't. But <laughs> nice, nice. So we may not be your first podcast, but we were your, I was your first recognition. So I'll take it. I'll take it. We always like to be people's first podcast. So wait, yeah. are, are we your first podcast? Uh, no. Okay. No, <laughs> Fair I enough. Don't think so. <laughs> no, I there may have been a that. moment of podcast indiscretion in my past somewhere. <laughs> cool. Yes. So what is, before we, um, before we put a final wrap on everything, what's next for you? What do you have coming up? Anything big that you're working on? Anything that you can talk about? Or um, Well, actually, I'm flying out tomorrow to go back to the East Coast because um, all of your wedding talk, I want to know more about what you made. You can text me on the side or something. But, um, 100%. My sister's getting married this month. So oh, nice. She's telling me, she's like, I don't need that much help, you know, and I'm like, but I know when I get there, like, I, maybe I'll be the one that's like, I want to make the name cards. I want to make, you know, that might be selfish on my part, but I do because <laughs> I like doing that stuff. Mm -hmm. But 
that's not next for me. And then I, I um, just got the opportunity to work with an art department on a, a new home renovation show. So hell um, yeah. Yeah. So I'm excited about that. We'll see how it goes. Isn't um, it crazy? Isn't it crazy? Like TV, you're starting to, it's, you're going to end up in five years. We're going to have you back on the show and we're going to talk about all the successful TV shows that you are both on the crew of, and then eventually running the show of like, yeah. it's just a matter of time. We'll see. Yeah. It's been a really fun path for the last two years. So we'll see where it goes. Ride it, ride it while the tires are still on. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. Well, it has been an absolute pleasure talking to you. And um, it's kind of cool to see that you're a lot like the person that you were portrayed as on making it, which is really cool. Um, And for all the people that wanted more Justine in making fun, well, you just had an hour and 20 minutes of Justine. So there you go. (laughs) Thanks Thanks so much for having me. I had a great time. I feel like I have crossed paths with you guys on Instagram, but not, you know, not in person. It was nice to sit down and, and chat. Oh, 100%. And if you need if you need a wedding consultant, I know a guy. All right. All right. I hit every pitfall this week, so I understand, yeah. believe me. But <laughs> yeah, it's all might, good. You might be hearing from me. <laughs> hey, you know where to find me. Everybody else knows where to find us too. And you know where else you can find us? You can find us right here next week because we will be back. We do have a guest and in fact, I'll tell you who the guest is. Our guest next pertains. week pertains. Yeah, our guest next week is John Graziano, aka Graz makes also of making fun yeah. and then once we have john on bro is that once the we have full on, collection did we, we have the them full, all we have had the full set we have had the full I set think, of all yeah and were we like trying i don't even know if we we're trying to do that per se well we kind of no, were just kind of happened you know? know it it just so happened <laughs> that i kind of either indirectly or directly knew all the people on the show so it's like hey you want to come that. on the podcast yeah, yeah. Cool. So there you go. So we will be back again next week. We will have Graz Makes on here. And until then, have a good week, everybody. And we will see you then. See you then. See you then.